6 p.m. tonight. Hey, folks, I've been preaching at the end of last year on um, the kingdom of God, and I want to just just kind of open that up a little bit more because it's such a, an incredibly important um, topic. It advances. The kingdom of God advances. And one of the things that, that I was saying was that often we slip into a mentality of the kingdom of salvation, and we think it's all about getting people to heaven. But that's only the very first step. The whole king, Jesus didn't preach the kingdom of salvation. He taught that we need to be saved, but he actually preached the kingdom of God, which is a whole lot bigger. And the kingdom of God is about getting heaven to earth in our lives now. So how good are you at getting heaven to earth for yourself now? That's really the question. Jesus said he, he wants followers. He doesn't want people who are saved, got a ticket to heaven, will sit back and wait until the day, hopefully a long way away, when you die. And then the real event will begin. He's not looking for that. He wants people in heaven, but he's got a mission and a purpose and a plan for us to get involved in now. And it's not about our comfort, although we do live relatively comfortable lives. It's not about our will, although we get to do all sorts of things that we would like to do. But it's about his will and his kingdom. So I was really thinking, is there a verse somewhere or verses that kind of put together what the king, who is Jesus, actually believes is the, his mandate and then would become our mandate? Is there somewhere that sums it all up nicely and neatly? Because I find a lot of people say, I like that bit out of the Bible and I like that bit, but I'm not doing that. I'm not interested in that. I'm the that and that person. Now, is that biblical? Is that how we're supposed to live? Or are there some verses that can just encapsulate the whole thing? And fortunately, there are. They're the verses that are called the manifesto. They're found in Luke chapter 4. And if you've got your Bible or you just want to read from the screen, you can see it up here. This was the day when Jesus' sermon bombed. It just didn't go well. Listen up. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. See, even Jesus just had a regular Sunday, uh, Saturday by Saturday um, uh, observance. He, he would get with other people in church. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, you probably know these verses. Give me a wave if these are familiar verses to you. Some of you, they're not. So, okay, they're here for the first time. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So I only read a very short amount. And then he rolls up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes, it says, of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Now he's just taken a really well-known 
by all the Jews, messianic passage that talks about the Messiah coming and what the Messiah will do when the Messiah comes. And, and it's no wonder they're happy because they've heard about the miraculous things in Capernaum and other cities that Jesus has begun to do. Wherever he goes, a crowd quickly hears his name and they rush to him because things like healing start taking place. And he starts forgiving people of their sins. And miracles take place. And people who didn't even have body parts get body parts. It's no wonder crowds of people. And that now he's sitting in their synagogue and he's saying... What basically is, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for for over a thousand years. And all the people are going, flip. We wondered whether it was him. And now he's admitting it. They're really excited. Can you imagine the joy in their hearts? Are you excited? They're really excited. They're wondering, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the beginning of it? And then a change happens. Let's read on. Isn't this Joseph's son? You know, Joe, down the street, left, right, left, that house, they asked. And Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a, a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, a foreigner. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, and they drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him over the cliff. Let's get rid of the dude. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. That would have to be what you call the worst sermon ever preached. That sermon bombed. If you get me afterwards and, and you tar and feather me and send me out and say, never ever come back, I'm still not as bad as what they wanted to do to Jesus on that sermon. What on earth did he say that offended them in such a way? You see, Jesus shows us the mission of his kingdom. He's the king. And he shows us what the mission is. And basically he said, I am the Messiah. I'm the one who's been prophesied about, the one who would set up a kingdom. Messiah means the anointed king. So I am the special one that everybody in Judaism is waiting for. I'm him. I'm here today. But a discerning Jew would have noticed that he didn't read the whole of Isaiah chapter 61 verse 2. He stopped halfway through the sentence. He didn't say after proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't mention that at all. You see, the Jews actually believed that the Messiah would bring blessing on the Jews and vengeance on everybody else in the world. 
It's not a bad combination, isn't it? No, the vengeance isn't for us, they'd say. It's for everybody else. And the Messiah, he's going to do this. And they were hanging out, waiting for the Messiah to actually come and do it. But Jesus didn't fulfill it in the way that they thought. They were expecting this day of vengeance on all the Gentiles for their ungodliness that the Jews had to put up with, this chosen people of God. Because the Jews thought that there would be a literal kingdom when the Messiah came, came that, he would, that Jesus would fight the Romans. He'd call everyone together, and of course the angel armies would be behind them, so they would win, and vengeance would be poured out upon every other people group but the Jews, who would have this release and favor and the blessing of God upon them. Now the Bible does teach that there's still a day of vengeance coming. But Jesus... And the authority that he has as the word of God stopped mid-sentence and says, this is what the season is about. It's about release of prisoners, release of those who've been oppressed, setting people free, favor of God. And then thousands of years later, there will come a vengeance of God on people for their ungodliness if they absolutely refuse him. Biblical scholars have said, how could, how could it be like that? And, and some, someone came up with the concept of mountain ranges. Can you picture mountain ranges of lower in the front and greater in the back? But you can see both. You're looking at the Alps. And you can see the lower mountains, the Kaikoura Mounts that are there, the, 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 the seaward Kaikouras, they call them. And then there's the One's behind, and Mike, you took us up there once in the plane and we flew over the whole lot of them. It was amazing being up there. And the prophetic voice of Isaiah saw them as one mountain range, the favor and blessing of God and the vengeance of God. But what he didn't know is the valley of time in between, the blessing of God on the people and the vengeance that is yet future on those who absolutely refuse the goodness of God in this life. There will come a day of vengeance. Are you understanding what has been portrayed? The Jews didn't want a bar of it, sitting in Jesus' hometown there. The Messiah was coming to proclaim freedom and healing and the breaking of oppression and to put people under God's favor and withhold God's vengeance. This was, this was something that was absolutely new for a future time. And more... They thought that it was going to be a physical kingdom. And Jesus came and said, basically, no, it's spiritual. And because it's spiritual and in people's hearts, it won't have any physical boundaries of country borders. I'm not setting up a kingdom that other nations have to come to. I'm setting up something that you can fly now to England or Bahrain and you can find Christian groups that are exactly the same as you and me. Because the kingdom is in people's hearts and in people's minds. It fills anyone who knows Jesus across the entire world. It's an amazing thing. And then secondly, he told them on that day, and they hated this thought. They absolutely hated it. It was the thing that pushed the button that caused them to want to kill him. That it would be for every single people group. And people within every single people group across the planet. Every race. And they would not accept that. And they got furious. And then their eyes, they got, got so angry. 
They just took him and they marched him, frog marched him up onto the top of the cliff. And Jesus being Jesus, just, no, I'm out of here. And walked. You see, they thought that they were above every other race, the Jews. In their eyes, they were the special race to God. Everyone else was culturally inferior to them as a people. They were born to dominate all peoples. In fact, some Jewish rabbis taught that the Gentiles were simply formed as fuel for the fires of hell. That's how much superior they felt they were above every other race. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before they actually um, take him up to try and kill him, Jesus did read out what his kingdom would be about. It would be for everyone, but it would also be focused upon the poor. That's what the kingdom of God is about. He's anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. See, Jesus is absolutely interested in the poor of this planet, the poor of this country. It says he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. I'm the Messiah King, and my message is for, it's weighted for the poor. It doesn't mean if you're not poor, Jesus isn't interested in you. It means that the weight and the emphasis of the message is for the poor. The poor have the focus of heaven upon them. I wonder if they have the focus of the church. They're usually the people in any country that are the most mistreated and often have a difficult run at life. But heaven cares about the poor. And the effect of the gospel is that as the gospel gets into any person in that poor situation, it will lift that person up. It will set prisoners free. It will take the, uh, the help of those who are oppressed and will raise them up to better their life. It's not that God wants us all to be poor. He focuses his gospel upon the poor because they need the goodness and the blessing of God. And he specifically, or maybe before saying that, the poor are often the most open group in society to the message of Jesus Christ. You know, when the one revival that New Zealand has had that went on for over a decade took place in the 1830s when Maori people were, started to um, accept the gospel and be evangelized by their own evangelists, the Ngāpui had a lot of slaves in the north. And as the Ngāpui chiefs and people were influenced by the gospel, they, they let their slaves, that many of whom had now become Christians, go free. And they got the opportunity to travel right down here to Otatahi in Christchurch and, and to share the goodness of, of what the message of Jesus Christ with their own people. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Maori came to Christ. 1830s, 1840s, up until the 1850s. The poor are often the, the people group that are most open. You know, Without a missionary going, going to the east coast of the North Island of New Zealand, there was a church of Maori people with their own church building of over a thousand people. And no missionary had ever been there. When Henry Williams and others eventually got there, they were amazed. I went to a, a, a marae on, um, on the Wanganui River 20-odd uh, years ago, and, uh, and heard stories of, of Maori who could read the Bible... Um, upside down, 
because that was where they sat in the circle when they were slaves of Napui in the, in the north of New Zealand. And they had learned to read the stories out of the scripture that had now been translated into their, their um, uh, language. And they could read it upside down because they sat in that position. Amazing stories. But it specifically mentions three types of poor that the kingdom of God and our King Jesus is focused upon. The prisoners, those that are sick, and those that are oppressed. But actually, there's many, many reasons why people are poor. Even the financially rich can be poor. They can be poor in spirit, they can be poor in friendships, or they can be poor because they're all tied up with the love of money. So even though they've got a lot, it's of no use. They're just tied up. It's as if they're poor. They're living in this poverty mentality. But prisoners, think about this. Prisoners are poor because of things that they did to themselves. They tried something, they got, it was wrong, and they got caught. They did it to themselves. Their own actions bound them. But the prison that we know Jesus concentrated on more than anything else was a spiritual prison, the prison of sin. And every act of sin, it binds us. It builds bars around our, our, our inner lives, our hearts and our souls. And Jesus knew this. And his mission was to pay the penalty that the law required so that people could be free from the power of sin. And the greatest freedom that anyone can ever find is the forgiveness of sin by, Je by Jesus Christ, the only one who can forgive sins. Because a new creation starts in their life. Do you remember what it was like on the day that it took place for you? Boom! What a difference. And then secondly, people can be poor not because of anything that they did, just because of life circumstances. It mentions someone who could see and now they can't see. They're blind. And the kingdom is focused upon people who are in that situation. There are a lot of people who've just had a bad run in life. Life has dealt them a bad hand, we say. And, and, uh, and Jesus is focused upon them. And there is healing in the cross, which is something we are just beginning to learn and experience and believe God to see things like Hugh's miracle take place, where people who, who are going down, down, down are touched by God and their life transforms again. And now they're back and into it again. There are people who are poor through no fault of their own. And then there are people who are poor because other people have done bad things to them. They are oppressed. And Jesus' mandate for the kingdom that he, he did and then he commands or gives to us to be able to do too is to stand alongside and to help and to lift up those who are oppressed. He did it with women in his day. He said, no, you're not social outcasts. You're not, you're not less than men. Come and be part of my group. Bible even calls Tabitha a disciple. Mary sat as a disciple would at the feet of Jesus and was taught like a man would be taught. And Jesus lifted the status of women and said, no, you're equals. And then he did it with the feeding of people who were, who were um, really just out of food. And he fed thousands at a time, didn't he? And how many times did he feed thousands? At least twice, that's right. And after he'd read this Isaiah passage, he explained to them, I am the one. I'm going to do this stuff. And if you know your Bible even a little bit, you know that's exactly what he did. But his vision 
was bigger than just being the Messiah for the people of his day. His vision was to create a messianic community of people called a church who would have the same mandate that the Messiah was given to release prisoners, to heal, to stand with the oppressed and to deal with some of the societal injustices that are out there that are just in systems within our own country and every country. See, we're called to focus upon the poor and we're called to do exactly those same things. And then he explained how this can work. Within the, he, this passage not only puts together the vision of what the kingdom is to be involved in, but he explains how it's to work. And when you look at it, you think, oh, that's, that's simple, that's straightforward. But it's very hard to do. And he gives three ministry tools. And Jesus used all three of these tools really extensively. See, this is so different from the kingdom of salvation. Let's get a ticket in our back pocket and let's basically have a good life. Let's just do the Christian rules like go to church and be nice to people and uh, have a good marriage if we can and, and just do some good stuff and then we'll get to heaven. But Jesus is saying, no, I've got a huge plan for my church. You need to transform the world, starting with your world. Focus on the poor. Stand there. Help the people that are sick. Have acts of kindness to people that are, that are in, in any sort of oppression and haven't got the freedoms and the blessing and the, and the opportunity that you have. Stand with these people and seek to set them free. Lift them up so they can live a life as good or better than the life you're living as well. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing mission. It's a radical mission. When churches have actually got it and said, we're going to do this, Amazing transformation has taken place. But if it's just about coming on Sunday, having a certain seat, singing a bit, going to a group on Wednesday, got my ticket, I'm on the way to heaven. See, Jesus wants people in heaven, but he wants to teach us how to rule and reign in this life because there's only one planet and he hasn't given up on it yet. And there's no people on this planet that he's given up, on, up with either. And he's calling his church to be involved in now. Bringing the resources of heaven now. Bringing the authority of heaven now. Bringing the power of heaven now into your circumstances, into your life, into your workplace, into your future. Hearing from God what to do because he's the king. He's not, he's not um, uh, looking for a boss. He is the boss. And then doing what he says for us to do. It's hugely challenging, but it's hugely rewarding. And so these three tools that he has, first of all, it's words. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And the Jesus message, the message of how much Jesus loves people and how he can change people's lives and forgive people, needs to be shared. It needs to be shared with people all the time. How good are you at being able to do that? How good am I at being able to do it? We need to actually speak to people. You know, we've, many of us have believed a lie that we've been told that if we're just nice, if we're kind to people, they will eventually see Jesus in us and come looking for the change and difference that's in our, difference that's in our life. 99.9% .9 of people don't do that, come looking. 
They need to hear it. We need to speak the goodness and the, the message of Jesus. And then the second thing is we need to be able to heal people. We need the power of God operating in our lives. And that's why it's so important we keep working in this. Jesus was great at it, but he was God. <laughs> there wasn't any doubt in his heart and life. And people got healed time after time after time. And it blessed them. You know, when people got their eyesight back and they'd been for many, many years on the side of the road, their life transformed. What a difference we could make if we were able to pray for people and see things shift and change and blessing come with healing in people's lives. We mustn't give up on this. This is not, oh, for them. It's for everyone. Power of God. And then actions. You know, we're to set the oppressed free. Some people are oppressed. You know, the Maori people in New Zealand as a race have been oppressed over the last 150 years by the colonization that's gone on in our country. They show all the signs. It's why there are, in statistics, there are far more Maori people, even though they're a small percentage of our population, they're well over 50% of the prisoners in our jails. It's the fruit of oppression that has gone on for 150 years in our lives. And it's there whether we like to acknowledge it or not. And Jesus says, I'm for people that have been oppressed. If you're a woman and you've been treated as second class, the church needs to stand alongside you and say, you are equal. I don't even, I'm not even getting a yes. I reckon I'm preaching better than you're responding this morning. We're to stand alongside these people because God wants to lift people to the status and the place that he's dreamed for them. Yeah. Words, power, and action. Sharing the love of the Father, moving in the Holy Spirit, in Holy Spirit power, and compassionate action. So what went wrong? What, when Jesus was talking about this, what was it? And I've already explained a little bit, but let me go on. You know, everyone's loving him and agreeing with him. And then they say, oh, but this is a local guy. We know his father. We know what he does for a job. He's a builder. He's not an intellectual. And they began to look down on, on, on Jesus. You know, it's so easy for prejudice to get in the way between human beings. We've got to really watch it. And then he tells them these two shocking stories. And they did not want to remember these stories from their history. He reminds them that in Elijah's day, there was a widow, and Elijah was sent to a foreigner to bless her, to look after her, to help her. And she helped him, but he was looking after her with the power of God. And the Jews believed God was only interested in the Jews. And here Jesus, who says, I'm the Messiah, but I'm also for people who aren't part of your race. And they hated it. And then he told them a worse story. He told them about Elijah, Elisha healing the commander of the Syrian army. This man was an enemy. The Jews would rather he was shot than healed. And they got so furious because it upset their worldview. And this Messiah was saying, I am for every people. No race is superior. No race stands in the dominating position over one another in me. 
There's to be no cultural elitism simply because one race is more than another in a particular country. We're to embrace people of every race. But how much prejudice is there in your heart and my heart, actually? I can look back on some conversations I wish I'd never had. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm for everyone. The setting free, the raising up, the empowering, the loving that I want to do. Teaching you how to live under the grace and favor of God in this life is for every single race. How well do we know the names of people who are not of the dominant race of a European background sitting before us today that are in our church? How well do we know your names? How many Filipino cell group leaders were up here? Or Chinese cell group leaders, ethnicity cell group leaders were up here? Why are we seemingly one culture when the kingdom of God... According to Jesus, no race has a dominant place. And history shows us that as soon as Jesus had completed his mission and the sin prison was dealt with, the doors were thrown open for people so that sin could be forgiven. He enlarged the message of the gospel to people of every single race alive. So we must be really careful not to exclude or look down on any races today because we all stand equal in his sight. And then, as I said, his vision is much, much wider than him being the Messiah and everyone going, wow. He said, no, I'm going to raise up messianic communities who will take the same message of freeing prisoners, of healing people that are in trouble physically, and of standing with people who need a helping hand and giving that helping hand, I'm going to raise them up and they will eventually go across every single border around the country and there will be things called churches where people are given the same mandate that I've had and it will happen in every single generation and people will find that they can absolutely change. You know, it's so simple. Words where we will share about the goodness of Jesus, of what he's done in our own life. Power where we will dare to pray for people who've got a short leg. And you say, can I pray? I'd love to just pray God's blessing and healing for you in that situation. And and situations where people are really in need and and we've got some resource that they need and we've got time and we could help them. It sounds so easy, but the church has found that to live it out is the most radical lifestyle you could possibly have. But you know why it's so needed? If we're to focus on the poor, Kim Button is here today. She might be out at the moment. Um, She has spoken just recently about the dysfunction in many families that's out there. The abuse, the violence that goes on between husband and wife at times. Um, The sexual immorality, uh, the addictions that are there. And friends, if we go out and try to win someone to Christ, and we win them to Christ by our convincing arguments, then we'll have to prop them up in Christ for the rest of their life. 
But when Jesus' message gets believed by someone with any sort of dysfunction, no matter what, and he's invited into someone's life, he transforms them into a brand new person with new DNA. And he looks after them. That's why the message of Jesus is so important. And the healing power of God can break any of the effects of Satan and darkness. And we need just to learn to to move more in that realm that we can see it happen more for people. And it opens people's worldviews. When you pray for someone who's just had an accident and their knee is up like this and suddenly their knee before your eyes just shrinks down and they can walk and stand on it, you know, and you say, I didn't do it, it was Jesus, God loves you. Suddenly they're open in a way that they never opened before. And the acts of kindness that we can do as people in our daily routines often are the thing that gives us the the uh, openness in people's hearts for them to accept us and be willing to say, yeah, I'm happy to talk with you. And it's the doorway that, that lets us get in. Yeah. But you know, so, so often in, in, in the church, the, we've said the power of God stuff belongs to Pentecostals. And the preaching and speaking about the goodness of God belongs to evangelicals like Baptists. And, and the good works going on in the community and standing alongside oppressed people groups and, and even um, at times, well, anyway, in whatever way and shape it forms, that's the churches that are, that are conservative churches and liberal churches because it's so hard to live with these three things together. But the call of God and the mandate of God is to actually do it. And in our generation, in the time I've been alive, God has begun to put all three together within churches and to put all three together within individual Christians. And it's a radical change that's taking place. And the reason I want to say to you, if you've had a, a perspective where you say about the Holy Spirit, no, no, I want to call you to say change. Change. When someone's open to Jesus, we can't say to them, the people that will share the message with you can come Tuesday at 2. And and if someone's open for healing, we can't say the, the prayer team people, they can see you in a couple of weeks' time. And when someone's open to, has a need and, and we have the ability to be able to meet it, we can't say the trust will come um, in a few weeks. God wants to use every single one of us in word, sharing about Jesus, in power, taking the risk to pray for people, leaving it on Him, but us taking the risk when we feel prompted to go and pray for situations that we see and sharing together and helping. One of the cool things that Kim uh, was seeking to set up, but it just wasn't able to happen at the moment, it'll happen in a uh, shortly, was we, she was wanting to get a team of people together from the church here to come and help one of the families, uh, one of the solo mums out in the community that she, she knew whose, whose um, garden had just gotten away on them. How cool to do those acts of service. And this person, even though they'd just recently been able to do it and got it all cleaned up themselves, was blown away that people from St. Albans Baptist Church were willing to come and do it. It's hard to live this way, but what might happen if we did? 
If we want the results of Jesus, then we have to use the methods of Jesus. Be willing to share our, 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 uh, the gospel, to share our own story, to share about how good Jesus is with people. You know, I was at the uh, placemakers just the other night, and uh, it was about two minutes to six. They were on Thursday night. They were just shop, uh, closing, and the lady at the checkout she said to me, "She said, have you had a good day?" And I said something like, "I'm a pastor. I always have good days." And 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 she she said, "Can I ask you a question?" And then she teared up and she said to me, she said, I'm not sure I have faith to believe there is a God. Now, how well could I answer that question? I don't think I did a very good job. But those opportunities arrive. So easy to just say, the sharing team can be with you on Tuesday at 2. I'll arrange for them. We need to put these aspects of the gospel together. They're the method of Jesus. The mandate upon our lives is much more than we've ever imagined. We are given to become a community of people that is like Jesus. Will you lay down some of these theological barriers? Our God is good. The Holy Spirit is good. Jesus is good. The Father is good. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this one passage that puts it all together. Lord, wherever we have been cherry-picking bits of the Bible that we want for our lives, please forgive us and help us, Lord, to... Go after your gospel in its wholeness and in its fullness. Help us to be willing and to have the words that can make sense to a woman when she asks us at a checkout for some important question to have a good answer. And Lord, help us to take risks when we feel we should pray for someone. And help us to give time that we might be able to bless and lift people who are in trouble with their lives, day-to-day lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.